Christopher and I, and all of us at TDPS, are still grieving the loss of my dear friend and our beloved premier party person, Anne Rice. But my mother's literary legacy gave birth to a diverse and wonderful community of readers and fans who continue to celebrate her work online. We invite you to join them on the Facebook page dedicated to Anne's legacy. That's where you'll receive the latest updates on new editions of her work and all the exciting changes coming to the AnneRice.com website. Also on the Anne Rice Facebook page, you can join the mailing list to receive all the latest news and information about her forthcoming celebration of life in New Orleans. That's at facebook.com slash Anne Rice fan page, no spaces. If you believe, as we do, that Anne's work is as immortal as her characters, then join us at Anne Rice fan page on facebook.com. See you there. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shawquin. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And Eric loves it when I do this voice. Is it all? Is that also supposed to be me? Yeah, Last time no. you said it was me. That no. was Fernando. What are you doing? What is Did, that dance move? They can't see your dance move. It's the dance move from Saturday Night Live. Wasn't oh. that Fernando? Didn't he do what? Fernando Lamas? Wasn't that what Billy Crystal used to be on? And I'm fabulous. Oh, I am so marvelous. You are marvelous. Was it marvelous? Marvelous. Yeah, something like that. Wow, we're old. Jesus Christ, we're old on this podcast. This is an old person's <laughs> podcast. Not you people. Mm. Not the not the party people. But you all are young and have tons of money to spend on products, on right? Books. On books, books in particular, <laughs> particularly books. But uh, but yeah, no, I think. We're the old ones here. We are the old ones I've here. I've gotten to a place in life where I I will look around and go, am I the oldest person here? And it's frequently the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you're with me because I'm so young. They're at the gym, I go to a small enough gym, mm-hmm. as you know, because you go to the same gym. Yes. There's only one person who comes to that gym who's older than me. And so <laughs> unless he's there... <laughs> I'm the oldest person at the gym, which is like always, which is like, okay, well, yeah. I guess that's going to be a thing. But yeah. I, I had a weird re- a recognition of my age, which is in terms of, <laughs> so like, oh, wow, I'm not 25 anymore. Oh, huh? No, that's not weird. That happens every five minutes. Yeah. So this is LA. This town is cruel to the old, cruel to the aging is Los Angeles. But, um, I have friends, particularly as a result of the research I did for a book called Sapphire Spring, who are, I guess, first-generation Iranian-American. Uh, you know, their, their parents emigrated here around the time of the revolution in 1979. They all can speak Persian fluently. But now I'm meeting Persian-American kids who are members of the next generation 
who do not know a word of Persian. Because they're Americans. Right. They were born they're here Americans. and grew up here. And yeah, we have a friend who's um, Persian, and there was, like, I don't know, something happening with in Iran, and I thought, I guess maybe I should be more... I think of him as being from Orange County. Right. I don't think of him as being Persian. Like, I was like, well, I guess. I, you know, and I even said to him, I'm not being insensitive, I mm-hmm. hope, because I didn't address this with you, but I don't think of you as being from anywhere other than right. maybe Orange County. Yeah. Um, so whatever. I, yeah. I, I, yeah, it's, it, it, go, it fades quickly. Well, and it's, it's a... The I, great melting pot. It is. It's that. the great melting pot. And it's, a, it's about what the priorities of a family are, I think, in some respects. But it's also, I think, in that particular instance, a lot of those families, for various reasons, cannot go back to visit. If they worked in the Shah's regime, if they had anything to do, if they haven't, if the men who left at the time didn't do their compulsory military service. They could be detained if they go back. It's a very complicated thing in that particular uh, question with that country. And oh, yeah? Yeah. I, and I, I don't because know. of your book. What, which one was that? This was Sapphire Spring. One of the heroes, it's one of my gay romances in the Sapphire Cove series, and one of the heroes is Iranian-American in Orange County. And, in fact, our, our friend that you mentioned was a sensitivity reader on that book. Oh, cool. Yeah, I said, let me know if anything offends you. And he punched you right in the face. He just beat the shit out of me. Hit me with the... <laughs> it was like trying to get Princess Anne out of that car on last week's episode. It's just a nightmare. What a tough customer. She is really... I wouldn't argue with her. Okay, so we don't know what we're calling the theme this month. What is it? Crimes of the Crown? Crown Crimes? I, Christopher doesn't know what we're calling the theme this month. <laughs> Eric has apparently made up his mind. I would either, you know, crown crimes or uh, royal crimes. Okay, crown crimes. I'm down with crown crimes because we're celebrating the final season of The Crown on Netflix. Right. Which is one of our favorite shows. Uh, we'll be doing a VIPP Ever. Insider episode talking full of spoilers available to our mailing list subscribers and members of our VIPP Facebook group. Well, I'm going to say it's going to be limited full of spoilers because it's going to be a pre-release discussion of the final season. So we won't have spoilers about the final season, but we will be talking about our experience with the series. We will also be talking about our individual favorite seasons so far, excluding the final season, which we haven't seen yet. Right. And then when we get around to figuring out how to do the discussion <laughs> room, we'll probably talk about this season, but it, that will be uh, later in the year, once the season right. is all posted in December. So today, as part of True Crime which TV Which it may Club, be by now if you're listening to this. <laughs> yes, no I was idea. trying to get us out of there before we got too detailed, Eric. It's, yeah, it's like trying to write a movie where Look, there's time travel. You have to account for a lot of little details. Look, listen, Linda. Yes. Listen. Um, this also is inside joke. A common theme theme with podcasts. I listen to a podcast called Faded Mates, which is uh, Sarah McLean, a romance writer, her podcast with Jen Prokop, and they always talk about how she will have to go back and listen to old episodes for random reasons, and she'll be like, "Oh my God, we promised all these giveaways, we never did. Like, we need a secretary. There's all these promises made in episodes that we never kept." Yeah. And you know what? They're just here for the conversation. That's why they're here to hear us talk and hold forth and opine. And <laughs> except and, for the people who didn't get the show, we said we would send to them. They're pissed and they've stopped listening. No, no, we have not. Yeah, we have not made that mistake. Well, we have been um, slow any, again. <laughs> we have not made that mistake again. Or yes, we have fixed that mistake when we have made it, but maybe not quickly. Um, yes. Okay. We've eventually sent. I believe we're current, but yeah, if we you have, if we promised to send you something and we didn't. You know, prove it. Um, 
<laughs> Send pictures. Yeah, no. Um, let us know. But I think we're current. On I that, think we so. are. I think we are. Let's let's get on to the topic of crime crowns. Before we get crown crime, let's not open this uh, hornet's nest. Let's before we wander headfirst into a field of liability. Let's talk about crown crimes. Once again, we're serving up an episode of a show called Royal Inquest. The subject is one that is covered in the Netflix series The Crown. It is the assassination of Lord Mountbatten. And I have to say, just to sort of put the lead at the top here, this is maybe the best depiction of an investigation that we've ever done. This is purely investigative. Like, it it, it, it was... The incident and then the investigation. Right. That's all that's described here start to finish and then the you know I'll wrap up and dealing with sentencing and where people wound up after the the fact but it was fascinating and very detailed right. and moved forward i have to say it's a very linear progression so the story itself lent mm. itself more easily to that kind of development but yeah it was I felt very well informed after seeing this. It was a good episode. It was a good episode. I also think it could make an amazing feature film, just what's covered in this episode. It's got a ticking clock, as we'll go into. It's got a main character. You know, it's got rich, complicated political backstory. Like, it could be an amazing movie by itself. It probably is, and I'm just an American moron who hasn't dug deeply enough. But I don't know. I'm pretty obsessed with the Royals now, thanks to Netflix. So it's kind of hard to... I, yeah, this is... Mm, yeah. It was it was it was a really probably the worst moment in the troubles. I I was shocked, and this is me revealing. Well, my, my I say that there's there was actually incidents where civilians yeah. were shot, so that's probably worse than this. But they sucked, but still they, they went on for far longer than I realized. Yeah, it was. You know, was my a, recent contact with the troubles was uh, Dairy Girls, which you got me to watch, which right. is largely a comedy, but the backdrop is the troubles period in Ireland. Yeah. And then the series, spoiler alert, sort of ends with the end of the Troubles, you know. Right. Um, so this is the depths of it. This is 1979. It's August 27th. We're in County Sligo, Ireland. It's a perfect morning. In and let's maybe mention what the Troubles are. Or That's true. <laughs> so the Troubles were... Go. The, that sort of... <laughs> the, well, it's this... But do it in two lines. It is that wonderful sort of... Um, the the. The United Kingdom tendency, the British tendency to, you know, the, the toast is, is called as a catastrophe, you know, right. of epic proportions. And this really hideous um, time period of violence and rioting and bombing and assassination is described as the Troubles. Um, right. But it, the long and uh, really long um, troubled relationship between... Um, England and Ireland right. is basically the troubles, and then the partition of Northern Ireland, right. and the remain as part of the United Kingdom as part of Britain, and then the the struggle between the two different groups, Ireland proper and Northern Ireland, or whatever you call it. There was the Republic, the Republic of, of Ireland, Ireland, and uh, the and then and which was the affiliated with the UK, which was the one that was still part well, of the UK. I'm going to say that it's the other one, but I don't actually know that. Yeah. There's there's um, there's Northern Ireland, which is what I, is the part that's affiliated with the UK, and then right. I believe the other is the Republic of Ireland, but I don't actually know I that. I think to we'll be the get case. to it in the notes if I, I remember think so, correctly. Because yeah. the Republic would seem to be that they have their own completely separate government. 
So the IRA didn't want the partition and said that no part of Ireland should be part of the United Kingdom, and they resorted to terrorist means to accomplish that, and that was the, the source of the troubles. That was the, the through line. And to be fair, the troubles probably started during the reign of the first Elizabeth. Yeah. Like, this is really not a new development, but it kind of came to a head around the partitioning of Northern Ireland, I believe, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and persisted until... I'm going to say cooler heads prevail because Northern Ireland still exists. It didn't go away, and yeah. but they've gotten to a at least a better place of entente. Yes, but I think even now they don't really. When the if the royal family visits, I think it's one of the things they said in the yes. special. If the royal family visits, they still don't do a lot of advance they announcement of it. But this special is from 2009, which I saw after we watched so, it. So some of that information may be dated, but what, what ended the troubles was that the IRA disbanded. There was the Good Friday Accords. Is that, or there, I might be mistitling. Clearly we are not qualified to, to get, do an episode about the troubles, but we want to give you enough backstory to understand this what story. What was underlying, because it yeah. is essential to understanding the story. So there was this period where this group, the IRA, right. was perpetrating acts of terrorist violence or, yeah. I don't know, freedom fighter violence, however you want to do it, is acts of violence, mm-hmm. random acts of violence against soft targets right? Um, in an effort to draw attention to their displeasure over the perdition of Northern Ireland and the separation of the country. And this was m- maybe one of the most famous, mm-hmm. if not the most famous incident during that that rather extended time period. Yeah. Uh, so it's August 27th, 1979. Our apologies to Ireland and, and the United Kingdom for everything we just got wrong. Oh, and every pronunciation coming yes, your way. We did it. We're doing our best, but Even though this is our minimal understanding. We are both of Irish ancestry. Yeah, because allegedly. Because we're technically so Irish. It's a perfect morning in the seaside village of Mullochmore. Um <laughs> It's on Ireland's northwest coast. Fishing boats glide across the smooth surface of Donegal Bay. You can tell when my notes were able to keep up word for word with the narration, and then I goes kerflui. Um, we're interviewing a witness uh, to the events we're about to explore. His name is Peter McHugh. He says it was an idyllic day. He's the owner of a hotel on the harbor front, and he was getting ready for a busy day at his business when suddenly there is an explosion out in the harbor. A loud bang followed by silence and stillness. He jumps into a motor launch and races out to where the exploded boat was last seen. When he arrives there, there's almost nothing left except for bright green splinters that are the signature color of the most famous local fishing boat, the Shadow Five. And we will find out who owns the Shadow Five um, in the next paragraph. (laughs) I thought there was a this show like, flashes. What's back. happening? What are, after this brief a magic trick? I was like, <laughs> what a suspenseful announcement. We're not taking a break or anything. What what's <laughs> what are we waiting for? In chapter two, the shadow five. The Ona. Uh, okay. Uh when McHugh heads back to shore. <laughs> uh, there's an explanation for why I did it, but it's not interesting. Okay. Um when he heads back to shore, he sees the body of the boat's owner being lifted from a rescue boat. So clearly he, McHugh wasn't the only one to boat out to the accident I have site. to say, and hats off and God bless to everyone, no one's reaction was to stand on the shore and gawk. Everybody yeah. jumped in a boat and went out to see if they could help 
What a spirited, lovely little town. The body is that of Lord Louis Montbatten, cousin to the Queen of England, confidant to the Prince of Wales, otherwise known as Prince Charles, now King Charles, and patriarch of the British royal family. I'll tell you something, and this was a clerical note that I didn't, you know, I love these. In the last episode of Royal Inquest, we saw from some of these same, we heard from some of these same commentators, and they were never identified at the bottom of the screen. And it drove the note taker here crazy. But now I know that the silver haired matriarchal woman is named Ingrid Seward, and she's the editor of Majesty Magazine. Which just, I, you just have to love. Exactly. <laughs> Royal Fancier Magazine. <laughs> If it were in America and it was called Majesty Magazine, it would be about cats or cat owners. Or Madonna. Or, or Madonna. <laughs> Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and everyone here at TDPS would like to congratulate my co-host and best friend, Christopher Rice, also known as steamy romance author C. Travis Rice, on the publication of Sapphire Storm, the third novel in his Sapphire Cove series. Sapphire Storm is the drama-filled tale of a forbidden romance that exposes old secrets and incurs the wrath of the powerful and the famous. It went on sale March 7th, along with the first two entries in the series, Sapphire Sunset and Sapphire Spring. It's available wherever eBooks are sold. Congratulations, C. Travis Rice, and congratulations, Christopher. So let's talk about who Lord Louis Mountbatten was. Let's talk about who he wasn't, since he was everything and everyone, and knew everyone. Oh my God, what a figure, what a... A, a turning point, a fulcrum on history. He was everywhere and everything and all things to all people and really a very consequential figure in, consequential in indeed. creating the United Kingdom, the monarchy, the England that we know now um, from right along. A major figure in the Netflix At series least. as well. And you know this because the Netflix series recasts when they skip ahead, they skip, go forward in the generations and, and you get multiple actors playing you and he gets, the, I think, the full treatment. He gets four different actors playing yeah, he's, him. He's the, he's the real deal. He was the person who got Philip and Elizabeth together in the first place. In yes. fact, there is some surmise, at least on the part of the crown, that it was his wish for it to stop being the Windsor mm -hmm. line and be the Mountbatten line because Philip, even though he wasn't technically his son... Elizabeth's husband really was Mountbatten, or he yeah. thought he was. He felt that was, and so he wanted that to become the royal line, and that got foiled. I believe the inference in the Crown is at least that um, that it was by the uh, Parliament was oh, yeah, not was having no, it. They no, were like, no, no. "Nope, we're going to be. It's going to be mm -hmm. uh, the Windsors from here to eternity. That's how we're doing this." Born in 1900, his great grandmother was Queen Victoria. His mother's sister was the Empress of Russia. He's a war hero, a lifelong officer in the British Navy. He commanded a destroyer group in World War II, took command of the Allied forces in Southeast Asia. He was a favorite of Winston Churchill. After the war, he's a viceroy of India and oversees negotiations leading to Indian and Pakistani independence. I mean, I just don't know how you have more significant impact. And then he brought the Queen and Prince Philip together and took Prince Charles under his wing. 
when he was born. Oh, yeah. Mentored the the present king of England. So his influence is really inestimable. Inestimable. By 1979. <laughs> by 1979. It's an inside joke from last week's episode. <laughs> Mountbatten is 79 years old. He's retired from his Navy career, and he settled into a life of leisure at his English estate, Broadlands. But every summer, he moves his family to Glasgow Castle, overlooking the <laughs> tiny fishing village of Mugmore. Um, uh, we interview Jerry Moriarty, who's a former journalist for the Donegal Democrat. Uh, Democrat. That's the word I'm going to fuck up. Democrat. Um, he says that despite the troubles, uh, Mountbatten was accepted by the local community, and everyone knew his boat because it was painted a bright green. Right. So on the morning of August 27th, Mountbatten has boarded the Shadow Five for a fishing trip. Joining him are his daughter, Patricia, her husband, Lord Brayburn, his mother, the Dowager Lady Brayburn, and the couple's 14-year-old twins. Local teenager Paul Maxwell is, in, is his boat boy for the summer, and he is also aboard. They leave around 11.30 a.m. They're a few yards from down the shore, excuse me, when the explosion hits. Uh, we interview Neil McConnor author of Cracking Crime, which appears to be some sort of Irish crime publication. Cracking Crown Crimes. Cracking Crown Crimes. There we go. That's it. <laughs> um, she says uh, Mountbatten was killed instantly. His grandson is also killed instantly, as is the local teenager, Paul Maxwell. The Dowager Lady Brayborn dies a day later from her injuries. Within 30 minutes of the explosion, someone calls a local newspaper and says... This is no accident. Mountbatten was murdered. The managing director goes into the newsroom and tells them it was a call from the IRA claiming responsibility. Uh, the, the special gives uh, possibly a more uh, cogent summary of the troubles than we did at the beginning of this episode. But the roots of it started, uh, the roots of the IRA started in 1920 when a treaty divided Ireland into two separate states. There was the Irish Free State, and then the British ruled Northern Ireland. So there's our answer. We there think. you are. Uh, the IRA forms with the goal of freeing Northern Ireland from the rule of Great Britain. And in 1969, they launch a new violent offensive against symbols of British rule. It's known as the Troubles, as we said earlier. It's vicious, prolonged, it's sustained. Um, a spectacular refers to staging a headline-grabbing attack against a prominent target. And they sent bombs to offices and blew things up and it was it bombed cars in traffic and, and they public blew places. up a mailbox by Harrods in London maybe a few minutes after my father was standing by it and he was there on a trip with my mother forever yeah. changed um the 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 ability to throw away your trash or mail yeah. your letters in in London, they did they, yeah, yeah. They 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 stopped putting trash collect trash bins on the street because they would just put bombs in them Jesus. and it would blow up. Like it was, it was there was all of those things were a part of people reacting to the methods of of this during this time period of this terrorist reign. So, given all of this, um, law enforcement has been warning Mountbatten not to take his traditional summer trip because they feel he is a major target. And I think given how well-known he is, everybody knows his boat, you can see their thinking there. But Mountbatten's view was, I'm just an old man. Why would they be interested in me? Yeah, which is really 
an interesting to be that kind of historical figure and see yourself as just an old man is really yeah. everybody believes their own life is just their life like nobody thinks their life is that remarkable while they're living it mm -hmm. that is really to think that is that that cracked me up the royal family is at Balmoral when they hear of the murder uh, prince charles goes into a deep depression the public is understandably outraged the irish police called the garda have their work cut out for them there are many IRA sympathizers in the Republic, so no witnesses come forward to say that they saw the bomb being planted on the boat. Although I would also account for it may be just be they were terrified of the group and they didn't yeah. come forward, like sympathizer or not. Yeah, that was... They're blowing people up. You may I not know. want to rat on them because they might blow you up too. Um, so they approach, the Garda approaches the country's premier forensic scientist who is the hero of this piece, Dr. James Donovan, and he is interviewed copiously throughout as he tells us, that he raced north from Dublin even as there was more stunning news. Two men had been taken in for questioning, and they believe that they may be the bombers, but they've been in custody since two hours before the boat exploded. Their car was stopped at a routine checkpoint 80 miles northwest of Mullingmore. The driver appeared <laughs> agitated. Both were unshaven and looked like they'd been up all night. And the passenger's identity got their attention. It was His name is Thomas McMahon, and he is an active member of the IRA. The driver's name is Francis McGurl. McCann clams up in questioning, but McGurl starts to really talk to them and blurts out, I put no bomb on the boat. And this, that's just the moment in this when I was like, I, know. I, I hope they didn't put McCann and McGurl in the same prison together because yeah. McCann and, would just strangle him. Like, yeah. What a thing to say. And the bomb hasn't gone off yet, by the way, when he says that to police. I, right. Yeah. He just blurts out, I put no bomb on the boat, which is like saying, oh, we didn't have anything to do with that murder that's going to happen at 11 right. o'clock. Like, are you kidding? Yeah. Yeah. But the Garda can't formally arrest these men until they find enough forensic evidence. So there is a ticking clock, as I said earlier, 48 hours for this one forensic scientist, Dr. James Donovan, to get conclusive proof that these men are guilty of the right. bombing. Uh, the two men are currently arrested under something called the Offenses Against the State Act, and I guess that only gives you 48 hours, and then you have to let them go. You have to charge them for something No idea. Else. So Donovan starts by expecting their clothes in his Dublin lab. Then he heads to the scene of the crime, where the village is in shock. Um, but then on August 27th, there's a huge IRA attack at a place called Warren Point, and 17 British soldiers are killed. So the temperature under this is going up rapidly. Donovan examines the corpses, and he finds that down the right side of Mount Baden's body, the bone is showing, but he, and he describes it in, in cold detail. His aristocratic face is intact, and the this, this scene he describes is like he's present during his own autopsy. Yes. You know, the presence of this historic figure is there in the mortuary room. Uh, the grandson's body is undamaged, so it's likely that he drowned. And this is the worst aspect of the story for me the local teen the young irish boy is damaged beyond recognition uh you literally blown in half from his midriff down to his knees or yeah gone. it seemed like everyone was drowned except for him like right. he was literally blown up by the bomb and everybody else was just knocked unconscious fell into the water and because they weren't swimming they drowned yeah so good job ira you murdered the irish boy in the most gruesome manner possible right. Um, but these revelations are not going to help solve the case. So he goes back to the boots worn by the suspects, and he finds a lot of sea sand on them. But sand falls away quickly, so it means he was walking on sand fairly shortly before his arrest. 
Um, but he becomes determined, and this is the first, this, I just nerded out over this stuff. I don't know about you, to find out where the sand came from. It I became loved it. the study of sand. And it was like the idea that you can make these determinations with sand samples is amazing. And then they went on to talk about how those determinations were made, and it was fascinating. I didn't quite follow it down to the last detail, but it had to do, the shape of the sand had to do with where on the coast it was deposited by the tides, right? right because some sand gets smoothed down and worn out because it's been beaten up longer by right. the surf, and other sand is newly deposited. I mean, it was really an interesting sort of description. Obviously, watch the show. We're recommending that. But right. is it was an interesting description of the way in which you can characterize sand. So he was looking at microscopic views of sand at the individual sand, I don't know, crystals or whatever they are. Grains. Grains yeah. of sand. Um, and seeing differences from different places along the coast to try and determine that the sand on the boots was from Macklemore or whatever the name right. of it is, which I think they're a singing group, so yeah, right. I don't think that's it. But yeah. that's kind of the best I can do. Goddamn Americans and their podcasts. So yes, the sand, he wanted to determine that they couldn't have picked up the sand from the beach close to where they were arrested, because I guess it was 80 miles from the bombing because site. Because he he's trying to preclude, they're claiming that in order to defend themselves against, he has to come up with evidence that clearly establishes they were where they were supposed to be and not able to defend themselves against it in court if he asserts So, it. and he does. He says the beach near their arrest site would have had sharp sand and the sand on their beach is round, which matches the sand from uh, Milgamore. Um, <laughs> so then the next question is, did they plan the bomb under the cover of night? The boat was moored in a tidal harbor, which means it's sitting basically on a beach when the tide resides, resides, recedes, excuse me. It's sitting on mud is what I thought it would be sitting on. Right, and so it would have thing. caked onto your shoes if right. you walked up to the boat and climbed aboard and planted the bomb. Then you would basically be walking through wet sand. But, yeah, it would be the equivalent of mud. It would be that sort of slurry that sand turns into when it's when it's wet. But the sand, he realizes, is not going to be enough, but he keeps examining the boots, and it's there on the toe cap of one of their uh, one of the right boots he finds a smear of green paint, and it turns out to be from the Shadow Five, and it turns out to be indisputably from the Shadow Five. That was my favorite. there were multiple layers of green paint on the boat, I guess from over years of For refreshing. Being painted, yeah. all of the shades of green are not the same. And all of the shades are in the chip that is found on the boot. So, so it's, it's even the sequence of of paintings from the boat from the from the boat as well as so it's in, it is indisputably from the Shadow Five, which I'd just like to say is a terrible name for the boat. I was I kept waiting for them to say where's the name coming from? Like what was it, a war thing or no idea. No idea. And I assume there were four others. Cue the outraged British uh, party person who is now on our Facebook page schooling us on where the name Shadow and Five I'd be comes interested from. to know. Maybe it's very significant, but I, I didn't know what it was, I and I thought yeah. it was an odd name for the boat. Maybe it was very family. He familial. also discovers traces of nitroglycerin on both Mountbatten's Anorak and McMahon's sweater. And he says, unless you're taking blood pressure tablets, the only other place you see it is in dynamite. With only a few hours to spare, he reports his findings, and both men are charged. Now it's September 5th, we're, and still 1979, we're in London, England, where Mountbatten is given a full state funeral in Westminster Abbey. He's buried in his hometown, 
Prince Charles breaks down as he leaves the funeral, wipes the tears away, and then goes to face the cameras. They said this was a rare moment of the royals really struggling not to show their public grief, that this was, this was a challenge for them. Yeah, I mean, this is somebody just blew up grandpa. Yeah. Basically, it's a, having your grandfather killed was, yeah. the, I'm sure, the way it felt to all of them. The trial date is set for November. Why is it's that just so the funny? Way, it's just the way you phrase it. Somebody just blew up Grandpa. Sounded more like an '80s comedy than or a, a Christmas yeah. song. A weird Christmas song. <laughs> We're very somebody weird. just blew up Grandpa. Grandpa. Okay, but that's not what happened, and this is very no, serious. So stop serious. drawing attention to the fact that I was laughing. Well, I was like, "What did I do this time? Like, <laughs> what now? What? Um, yeah." So it was. It was a. It was a pretty emotional. It had pretty emotional impact on everybody. I, I would say probably not until Diana was killed. Was there that kind of emotional uh, toll taken on the royal family? I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? The trial date is set for November. The Irish authorities are desperate to restore confidence And this in is the November following this happening that summer. So August, this is yeah. like kablamo. Yeah. We're in court. Donovan must work feverishly to prepare. He's working to prove without a doubt that the sand came from Lookmore Beach. So he does a comparison between it and sand from several other beaches, and he is ultimately able to establish a perfect match between the sand, the Mullockmore, Mullockmore sand. The Macklemore sand. Mullockmore sand and the sand sand. on McMahon's boots. Wow, that's an Irish tongue twister. He's able to establish a perfect match is the point. So the IRA targets Jim Donovan. Silent calls to his house begin, followed by threats including foul language. The Garda assign him an armed guard. Love that description. Foul language. Yes, absolutely. Two days before testimony, he and his guard are being followed. A car, a strange car full of men, begins riding their bumper. The police guard pulls his revolver out and holds it up so they can see it. And still they follow him. They follow him all the way to his house where they block his driveway briefly after the car pulls in. And then they leave. But they just sit in the car. Yeah. Saying, okay, if this is going to happen, it's going to happen right now. And it didn't happen. They drove away. So they were trying to intimidate him, but they didn't take it further than that. Thank goodness. 
November 5th, 1979, we're in Dublin, Ireland. The trial begins. It's presided over by a panel of three judges. Eyewitnesses didn't see anyone plant the bomb, and that's the biggest problem in the case. Right. The state pathologist testifies that Mountbatten drowned after being knocked unconscious. Everything will ride on Donovan's forensic science. Francis McGurl, he was the passenger of the car where they were arrested, I believe. He's he was the driver. He was the driver, and Thomas McMahon was the passenger. Yes. Francis McGurl's boots had no paint on them, only sand, so it's less clear what he did. I thought it was pretty clear, which is what they say next. He handed the bomb up to McMahon, who was standing on Mountbatten's boat. And McMahon was actually a bomb expert, right. so he's, you know... So they both touched the bomb, but the actual planting of the bomb was McMahon, apparently, or at least they could. It seemed more provable. Then that brought up the next question, which is how did the bomb get set off? And there were two theories of this. One was a booby trap was rigged to a cabinet door, and when Paul Maxwell lifted it up, the bomb blew. The second theory, which was favored by prosecutors, was that there was a remote control, which means there was a third conspirator. If this person exists, he knew children were on the boat. He had to be watching the boat go out from harbor before he hit the button. I favor the booby trap because yeah. I, I, you know, like my reaction was that, and they'd been, prosecutors have been watching too many episodes of James Bond right. because I just think that seems a more likely kind of, like the, the mailbox that your father was standing next to that blew up. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was remote control or it was just that was the moment that it was going to blow up and they just didn't care who got hurt? Their exit and the the manner in which they were arrested indicated such sloppiness with their plan, too. I couldn't see something as sleek as a remote control being involved. Well, and so somebody is, what, sitting at a cafe waiting until people get on the boat? And then, yeah. they, like, the, the, the booby trap means that whenever people get on the boat, it could yeah. have been the next day. Yeah. Like, is somebody going to stand on the shore for two or three days until somebody goes to get on the boat? Or yeah. I just, it seemed to me more like, you know, you had to lift up some lid to start the engine or do whatever it was, the sump pump or mm-hmm. whatever you were going to do, and then kaboom. Right. On November 23rd, after three weeks of testimony, the judges deliver their sentence. McGurl is up first. They say there isn't enough evidence to convict him. He's released. McMahon, on the other hand, is found guilty and sentenced to life without the possibility of appeal. Donovan. Which I thought was, I that's a, must be a British thing, without the possibility of appeal? Mm-hmm. Like, you can't even appeal this sentence, you're sentenced and it's over. No further discussion will be brooked on this right. topic. Like, I don't think we have an equivalent to that in this country. You have yeah. to have grounds for an appeal, but nobody can be you know, prevented yes. sentence to no appeal. That, that that was a new one on me. Donovan, when interviewed, says it's hard to feel that justice was served because four people died. How do you balance the death of those people with a prison sentence? McGurl's acquittal, however, is followed by public outrage. Many in Ireland believe they had help from others who were never convicted. Ultimately, the crime did not have the effect that the IRA hoped for. The vast majority of Irish people abhorred the act. The royal family regarded Northern Ireland with great suspicion ever after, and it was years before they visited again. And when they did, they kept all details of their visit secret, as you said at the beginning of this podcast. So the effect of the trial was to really increase the public's confidence in forensic science. God, it increased mine years later as I was sitting there watching it. Um, 
By the 1990s, both sides were exhausted by the violence of the Troubles, and in 1998, the two parties reached a ceasefire known as the Good Friday Agreement. So not the Good Friday Accords, as I said. Yeah. It effectively marked the end of the Troubles, and in May of 98, citizens of both Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland vote on the agreement, and it passes with an overwhelming majority. One of its most controversial terms was that convicted IRA prisoners, even those convicted of murder, would be set free, and that included Thomas McMahon, who walked out of prison a free man. If you want to see a really light treatment of that moment in history, the Good Friday Agreement, Dairy Girls will oh, bring it to you. goodness. Yeah. What a great... And if you want to have a, a, just rolling around on the floor laughing your ass off time, yeah. watch that series. It is really <laughs> a delightful... It is one of the most fun watching experience I've ever had. I even watched their... A special holiday episode where the cast was on the Great British Baking Show, and even right. that was delightful and rolling yes. around on the floor laughing. And then Hottie McHotterson, who um, is the James. young man in that, mm-hmm. is also in the new. Oh, what is it called? It's the it's the spinoff to Death in Paradise, Beyond Paradise. It's one of the the investigators from uh, from Death in Paradise comes back to England and. Uh, He's in a small village, being the head motherfucker in charge. I don't know. He's being the di the the di. I think they call it the detective inspector. Uh-huh. And one of his his PC is Dylan Llewellyn, mm-hmm. who is the Hottie McCotterson from Dairy Girls. But Dairy Girls will make you laugh until yes. French toast comes out of your nose. It is just the funniest. What if you haven't had French toast? You're going to be really alarmed. <laughs> um, no, that's I whatever. Whatever you're eating, popcorn, <laughs> whatever. Uh, it's just really a brilliant. Uh, yes. The, um, the woman who plays ultimately Lady Whistledown, but the daughter in um, what is the – Bridgerton. Bridgerton or um, Queen Charlotte, which one? Bridgerton and is later revealed, mm-hmm. is in the second or third season revealed to be Lady Whistledown, is mm. actually oh, yeah. one of the girls in the cast. It's a group of girls in high school, a Catholic high school in um, Derry being um, uh, Londonderry. Yes. Being slang for Londonderry. And their weekly antics at school are just... Priceless. It is just priceless. It is brilliantly done. Brace yourself. Once you get into the accent, it it goes easier, but you may have to start with subtitles. um, Subtitles because it is it is full on. They're all in and they do a brilliant job. I, I, I could I can't recommend it more. Didn't you tell me that the actress who plays Sister Michael, who is the the nun? Is the same age as the children? Oh in yeah, real life. she's like maybe the youngest <laughs> member of the cast. It was like it was like Estelle Getty was the youngest person <laughs> on Golden Girls. She's really just this young woman, and yeah. but she's playing this horrible old iron pants nun who runs the school that they're in, and she is just priceless. The the looks she gets on her face and her complete dismissiveness of absolutely everything in the whole wide world. That character is just a, a piece of genius. Anyway, it is a beautiful snapshot of the time period and of the people living in and around was ultimately a terrible time period, but with the absurd manifestations of living in a world that is being created by and and in, in many ways adapting to being in that kind of uh, 
violent, dangerous circumstances of the Troubles. Yeah, and you know, the thing that I want to share about it, which I remember as a young person, is that was a condition that none of us thought would ever end, and it did. It was one of those things that we thought was just going to be an intractable and terminable conflict. And so, without getting too contemporary, there are things that end, Well, you know? You know, the thing that I will say that is noteworthy about it and that they made at the point in this particular show is that they stopped asking the five guys at the top and mm-hmm. asked everybody else because what often happens, what we're finding out with abortion rights in this mm-hmm. country is that most people are in favor of that. Right. The, the, the five assholes on the Supreme Court and the mm-hmm. jerks in the minority um, subgroups in the House and Senate mm-hmm. may be in favor of it. But actually, most Americans, if you put it to a vote, right. apparently, most Americans would say, yeah, you should mind your own fucking business. If you don't want to have an abortion, don't have one. Mm-hmm. But don't presume to tell me what I can and can't do with my own hoo-ha mm-hmm. because if I want to have an abortion, and I will. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what happens with this. And I think it would happen in a lot of places if you actually allowed the majority of the people in those countries to to express their true wishes, um, you would probably find that, yeah, no, we're not interested in all of this violence and killing and fighting and arguing about these very fine points of politics because they don't actually affect most people's daily lives at all. What they want is to live in peace and to have their own lives. That's what everyone wants. And only the few who are benefiting from those very specialized circumstances are the ones who are in favor of promulgating them and keeping them going forward. And I, I think it's clear what happened here. Like right. when they asked the people in Ireland, would you like to put an end to this? They all said, yes, please mm-hmm. fucking put an end to it. We're sick to death of it. Mm-hmm. We didn't care in the first place. Pause. How much time do we have left? Okay, we should tease the Insider episode, maybe, you think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it is um, Crime Crowns Month. What the hell did we call it? I've already forgotten. Crown Crown Crimes. Crimes. Crown Crimes Month. And that means we're going to bring you a special VIPP, Very Important Party Person Insider episode, which is available to our newsletter subscribers. It is going to be spoiler-filled about the first... Four seasons of The Crown? What is the number of it's, the final it's season? It's going to be a discussion of ours. I believe it's the sixth, but yeah. I don't know. So we haven't seen the final season yet, but we're going to really talk about the previous seasons, and we're going to tell you what our favorite season was. We each we don't know if we have the same pick because we have not revealed it to each other. But the Insider episodes are uh, free. They don't cost you any money, but they are available to our mailing list subscribers. And we really want to talk about it. Before we're celebrating the arrival of the sixth episode, which I a sixth season, excuse me, which I believe is now a, this is so complicated. <laughs> I gave him a hand signal. Eric's I held hand up signal. Six fingers and it completely fell apart. Six, say six. Um, yeah. So that's what we're gonna do on that. I love this show, and I said, you know, my entry into the Insider episode was. If you are someone who thinks that an ongoing soap opera about the British monarchy is sounds like the most boring thing ever, tune into our the, the VIPP yeah. because we will have a lot more to say on the topic and and how I convinced Christopher to become a Crown fan. But yeah. it really is 
a, a surprising and brilliant um, and, and, and very much deserves the success and awards that it's seen over over its tenure. Six years, I'll be sorry to say goodbye. I will be very sorry to say goodbye. So also coming up on our next few episodes, it's holiday time. Everywhere. I was going to say here at TDPS, but it's kind of everywhere. Well, it's always holiday time somewhere, I suppose. Like <laughs> Eric well. is a traveling holiday wherever he goes. Fiesta right? Eric. I am absolutely a holiday. Uh, but, yeah, I would think, you know, depending on what country or location in the world you're in, it's maybe some holiday any time of the, the year. So we went. <laughs> so we went um, on our Facebook page, and we asked people what they wanted for Christmas this year, and we're going to talk about their answers in the next episode. Is it their two front teeth? Is it <laughs> or that dog in the window? Oh. Um, and then at the in our final episode of 2023, which is only two episodes away, we're going to be talking about the best movies and TV series of the year. Um, in our opinion. And I was going to say, because we say so. Because we say so, but also because you said so on our Facebook page. We asked you as well, and we have your answers on the ready. And, yeah, it's going to be an exciting closeout to the 2023 year. But the way in which you gain access to the VIPP special uh, insider episode um, is by signing up for the a Christopher and Eric TDPS newsletter or whatever it's called. Yeah. What is it called? I don't know. But it's the newsletter. Sign up for our newsletter and then the the links to the VIPP episodes will be there. And when we figure out how to do it, there will also be <laughs> um, a, a special VIPP group where um, private conversations will be had. We hope they will eliminate those fucking bots those that keep infesting everything. In, oh, my in, God. In, in Facebook, it's so weird. They're so gross, too. The pictures are like medical. Just, it's like Dr. Pimple Popper stuff. No, 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 no. It's horrible. Anyway, so hopefully, and that's what everyone has been saying. If you want to get rid of the bots, start a Facebook group. And I was like, okay, whatever. But it's. I think it's a great idea because it, it allows us to improve our um, our direct okay. connection with you because the you all party people are the are the very important the only reason that we're calling VIPP VIPP is because it also will mean that you're signed up for the newsletter. It means you want to spend more time with us than you're choosing to, and that makes you very important because we love people who want to spend time with us because we right? are narcissists, even though I'm the one that's accused of making every story about me. I think we're just – we're also kind of surprised that you do. <laughs> Like well, we've, listen, say- we, we've listened to this show and we don't like it very much. Like we, we don't know why the hell you're listening, but you do. And so we keep doing it because we love you. <laughs> it's just an extension of our phone calls is really what this it really, show is. We, we yeah. talk like this all the time. We don't need to get up and come all the way up here to the studio. But, well, I don't usually take such copious notes. we wouldn't notes. get to see Brandon. I don't take such copious notes. Uh, about, yeah, that's true. If you give me a new recipe and you're like, stop writing, listen to me. I'm like, don't tell me what my process is. I have to write it down. Christopher and I will sometimes be talking on the phone and I'll just be talking about something and he'll be like, wait, I'm writing this down. And I'm like, you are? Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. And it'll not be a recipe. It'll just be something I'm talking about. So, yeah. All right. Never rule out Christopher's ability to take copious notes. Never, never. Until next time, which is our Christmas episode. It's coming to you on Christmas Eve itself. Until then and forever after, I'm wow. Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks.
This is TDPS.